We're going to continue this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 22. I titled this morning's message, The Depravity of False Teachers and Their Destructive Ways. That's a long, my, my titles keep getting longer and longer to bring it all in, but you know, as I was considering now our third week in chapter 2, remember I've broken down the three chapters of Second Peter into warnings, to danger signs, things that we should be uh, looking for and be aware of as Christians. Chapter 2, the whole chapter really, Peter is speaking about false teachers and destructive doctrines and destructive ways of these false teachers. I started thinking about the writers of the New Testament, thinking about Paul, thinking about Peter, thinking about Jude, and I um, started thinking, you know, these guys, they were like, uh, you've seen the fierceness of a mother when her children are in danger. There's nothing more fierce. You know, you get a mother that's protecting her children, and that's fierce. Or like that bear that has those cubs, and that mother bear is going to protect her cubs at all costs. That's the sense that I get when I read what Paul writes, and how he writes it, and Peter, and and also Jude. They speak in very descriptive words about the depravity of these false teachers and their destructive ways. Paul, writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he spoke to him about false teachers. He's training Timothy up. He's telling Timothy, these are things that you need as a young pastor, we might say, to be aware of. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The latter times. I I would say that we're in those times. As I take a, a view of what's going on in the church today, I would say that there's a lot of deceiving spirits, and what Paul calls doctrines of demons. You see, if it's not a doctrine of God, it's a doctrine of demons. There's not one in between. There's not kind of a, kind of a truth. It's either of God or it's not. He says they speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. He's talking about these false doctrines, these false teachers. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You see, if you know the truth, if you're assured of God's Word, that His truth, the Word of God, is all that you need, then when these destructive doctrines come, when you hear these things that do not line up with the Word of God, it's not going to be hard for you to distinguish between truth and error. Sometimes it's just an imbalance of the Word of God. It's a distortion of the Word of God. And even when he was talking about abstaining from foods and, and, you know, the whole thing with marriage, you know, bad doctrine and asceticism even in the day where people would just go off on their own and try to keep themselves from the filth of this world and it has a real religious overtone to it. But inside their hearts are the same. You see, God is not concerned just with our outward exterior of change. He wants to deal with the inside. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit. That's the work of God's Word in our hearts. Paul also wrote to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise, 
and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud. Listen to the description. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And Paul says to Timothy, from such withdraw yourselves. How serious is Paul? How serious is Peter and Jude? about those that would bring in these types of doctrines, these heresies, these destructive doctrines, Paul says, withdraw yourself from them. In other words, don't associate with bad doctrine. Don't go to a a church or listen to a teacher that has bad doctrine, maybe even mixed with good doctrine. Be careful with that. Unless you're really a good student of the Word of God, it's very easy to get some deception, to get off balance. In 2 Peter, he warns in this second chapter about false doctrines and false teachers. We already read in the first three verses, let's read it again. But there were also false prophets among the people. He's speaking about God's people, Old Testament prophets, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Notice that. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you, how? With deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, their day and God's judgment will come. Peter says these ungodly men these false teachers that bring in destructive heresies, they're going to cause others to follow their destructive ways. And do you think that they're going to escape God's judgment? You see, the coming judgment of those that would distort the Word of God, it's certain. It will come. Peter went on in verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. And then He also didn't spare even the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He turned them into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. We live in a world, it's all around us. To be a Christian, to live and to make a stance for godliness, to stand up for truth, it will cost you something. It'll demand something of you to defend the faith, to be a Christian that is unashamed of God, unashamed of the Word of God, and I'm going to stand for truth. It's what we're called to do as believers. Peter also wants you and I to know, and this is a reminder for those that were here this last week, that God knows how to deliver the righteous. 
He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. That should cause a thankfulness in our heart. God knows how to deliver you. The Lord knows also, I shared last week, that God will and God must, God will and God must judge the ungodly, the unjust. Because it's the very nature of God that's holy that says, I must judge sin. It's why all that list of those judgments that came upon this world against Sodom and Gomorrah, all of these judgments that came by the hand of God, because God will and God must judge sin. Peter then gave five things that characterize these ungodly teachers in verse 10. He says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. That's the first thing that's characteristic of a a false teacher. And they despise authority. That's the second thing. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. And they're not afraid to speak of evil of dignitaries. Characteristics of false teachers that are out there. You just... And I don't even like to say this. You just need to watch them and listen to them. I I don't even want to send you down that road because there's a lot of them that are out there. They're not hard to find. Last week's title was The Coming Judgment of False Teachers. Today, it's the depravity of false teachers and their destructive ways. What did Jesus say to Peter when he asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? God calls you a child of God. He refers to you like you're his sheep. You're God's sheep. He's the great shepherd, and we are his sheep. Pastors and teachers that are out there, they are under-shepherds of the great shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. And he gives the care for his sheep. God loves you. He loves his sheep. And he asked Peter one day a question. He says, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? He's speaking about the other disciples that were there. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, to Peter, Then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, excuse me. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. It's the call of every pastor. It's the call of every teacher that they would tend, they would feed God's sheep. When I stand up here each week, I stand up here with strong confidence that when I teach you the Word of God, it's going to have a good and lasting effect in your walk. But it's also up to me to highlight and to bring out if I sense that there's something false that's out there to warn. Jesus, he warned his disciples. He says in Matthew 7, 15, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Just wrap your head around that picture. A religious person in sheep's clothing. Somebody that's playing the part 
Someone that, that looks by all outward appearances looks to be a very religious person. But he went on to tell his disciples, but inwardly, and this is what's important, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What a description. A ravenous wolf looking for his prey. God's sheep. You see, God's concerned with the inward part of the preacher, of the teacher, of the person that says they're going to speak on behalf of God. God is always most concerned with what's going on in the inside. In that letter to Jude, and I read a little bit from it over the last couple weeks, because it really correlates with Peter's letter here. But in the letter of Jude, he gives a whole host of warning signs concerning false teachers. He starts out by telling us as Christians, he calls us beloved, Jude does, those whom I love. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, Jude says, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith, our faith, what we stand upon, the essential phase, truths of what we believe as Christians, that you would contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's not new things being added in. There's not new doctrines coming along. There's not new things coming our way in the church. It was once and for all delivered to the saints. We stand upon those essential truths. In verse 4, Jude says this, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. He calls them ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lewdness. What a dangerous place to be. But they do it. And they have their motives. They have their reasons for doing it. In verse 8, Jude says, Likewise also these dreamers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Sounds like Peter's letter. And then in verse 10, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, Jude says, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Do you get any more descriptive than that? That's a description of the very character of these false teachers. Verse 16 of Jude, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to do what? To gain advantage. And then in verse 19, they are sensual people who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. You might want to underline that. You might stop for a moment and consider that. That they have not the Spirit of God. Not everybody that speaks and opens their mouth and says that they're a prophet or a teacher or says they have a word from the Lord is doing it by the Spirit of God. 
We need to be careful. We need to be good Bereans. We need to know our word. We need to, we need to know when something is being said that it's false or true. Today, we're going to look at the depravity of these false teachers, but also their destructive ways. Look at your Bibles at verse 12. But these, speaking about these false teachers, they're like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. And that's because they are functioning in the flesh. They operate in the flesh and not by the Spirit. They function in the flesh just as we might say like a wild animal that deserves nothing less than to be caught and destroyed. Pretty harsh. I mean, that's not my words. That's Peter's words. That's the Lord's words to us. They speak evil of the things that they do not understand even themselves. In other words, they're ignorant in their understanding of truth. Do you know that there are some people that are not even necessarily concerned that are, quote, teachers or, you know, whatever they might call themselves? They're not that concerned with truth. They have other kinds of motives, uh, reasons why they would get up and teach people or say anything to people. Here he says that they speak evil of things they do not understand. Have you ever had a conversation with a religious person? Somebody that in that conversation you were coming to know that I don't even feel really confident that they even know the Lord. But oh, they're a religious person. And oh, they bring up God's name and they bring up Jesus' name. But they do not have the Spirit of God, nor do they have the truths and the understanding of the truth of God's Word. It's really hard for a religious person to explain truth. I've stood there and had them try to explain it to me. And oh, how confusing their words are. How it's really hard to really grab, where are they coming from? What are they saying? What are they getting to? You know, and, and that's what happens when somebody has not the Spirit of God. They're not even born again. They don't even know Him as Lord and Savior, but they're a spokesperson, so to speak, for God. They're out there. It says that they will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive wages of unrighteousness. In other words, Peter says their fleshly lives are one day going to have a payday. Their fleshly living, their fleshly lies are one day going to receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. You see, wages are something that you earn. We earn wages, and the wages of sin is death. The wages of unrighteousness that these teachers uh, are bringing out by their conduct and by the words that they speak will one day have a payday. And that's really in essence what Peter is saying to us here. You see, they love to indulge themselves in evil pleasure. And not only do they do that, but they, they, it, they, sometimes they get emboldened enough that it doesn't even bother them to do it in broad daylight. In other words, it's just out in front of everyone. They're bold enough to be that way. They have no problem flaunting their evil practices. And, and the reason why, this is why, 
because it was never about him, it was always about themselves. That's why. In the book of Titus, in chapter 1, verse 16, we read this, Paul says to Titus, he says, there are some that profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They say they are, but in their works, in the way that they live, and they deny Him. And God be the judge. They say they are, but their life doesn't line up with what they say they are. It's been said that wrong doctrine and wrong living go together. Wrong doctrine and wrong living, they go together. And that's so true. If you have bad doctrine, you're probably going to have wrong living that's going to go along with it. Again, back in Jude, it says in verse 10 and 11 that these false teachers, they speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. In other words, their, their false teaching even corrupts themselves as teachers. These false teachers, in, a, in essence, they start believing their own lies. The things that they teach the people, they begin to believe them themselves. That's a corrupt state to be in. But you see, if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit... God's Word is not being illuminated to the heart and mind of the person that's reading it. You can make this book be whatever you want it to be. You can make it fit your lifestyle. You can make it do it. And people do it all the time. And it's infiltrating even within the church when it comes to these areas of compromise that even in the church people are struggling with. They're trying to make the Word of God fit what their lifestyle is, their manner of living is. Jude says, woe to them. Whenever you see a woe in Scripture, sit up and take notice. Jude says, woe to them. For they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. For they have gone the way of Cain. If you want to read that whole story, you'd have to go to Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain and Abel, where Abel gave his offering by faith, and Cain gave his offering by works and unbelief. Peter and Jude both say these false teachers, they speak and they do evil like Cain. These false teachers who speak evil do so because their works and the words they speak are not words that are mixed with faith. They're words that that really come from a heart of unbelief, like Cain. They come bringing a sacrifice of works and unbelief before the people. They teach people uh, not really faith, but in reality, they're, they're teaching them works of the flesh. And they're doing it in unbelief themselves. What an eye-opening day that's going to be when the Lord returns. And how many of those preachers and teachers will be left standing behind their pulpits? Something to think about. Peter, and we read on, we read of the faith of Abel in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says, by faith Abel, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You see, it was all by faith. It was in faith that he offered this excellent sacrifice before God. Cain 
was one that was a work of the flesh and unbelief. A tiller of the ground, a, 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 you know, a farmer. And it says, this faith of Abel, though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying to his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. In other words, the faith of Abel, the faith of his offering, it still speaks to our hearts today. You see, that's what God wants. In every teacher that is teaching the Word, first they need to know Him. and They need to have the Spirit of God and they need to have that faith as they bring God's Word to God's people. Jude 11, it tells us also, having run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. This is a big one. It's what motivates a lot of false teachers today that are out there. You can read of this in Numbers chapter 22. And Jude tells us that these false teachers, that they don't teach to see lives strengthened, strengthened through the Word, but like Balaam, who was a spokesperson for God, who had his heart set on riches, he had his heart set on greed and prestige in life. These teachers, in other words, many of them are in it for the buck. They're in it for money. We prayed for Cephas, prayed for Tina over in Nigeria. I'll tell you this, because we've been there, we've seen it firsthand. The land is riddled with people that are in it for profit. A third world country. You could make a living off of the Bible, off of teaching. And God maybe never even called them to that. But they see it as a way to make a living. They see it as a way to profit themselves. And there are many. And there are many here. And running greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Judah's warning that these false teachers, they're going to have a payday someday. And also in Jude 11, verse 11, it says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You can read about that in number 16, where we read about Korah, who began to have his own followers. A lot of false teachers have that. And some of them have great following. Some of them have great numbers of people that follow them. And really what Korah wanted is he really wanted a position. He, that's what a lot of them want. They want fame, they want a position, they want the notoriety. It fulfills a desire in their own flesh, their own need that they have in their own life. It's for greed a lot of times. And there are many, there's many pastors, quote pastors, quote teachers today that fall to this sin. Just the same way that Jude was warning then and Peter was warning then, the warning goes out the same today. I know personally of some people that have gone away to seminary and they get a degree Biblical theology, they get it in theology, they get these de degrees. And just in that, sometimes people think, well, I think I'm going to become a pastor. I think, you know, I, I'm ready to, to go take a church or I'm ready to go start a church. And you see, just because somebody gets a degree doesn't qualify them to be a pastor. Degrees don't do it. It's a calling upon a person's life. That a person is called to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to speak on behalf of God. And many professing pastors slash teachers today are taking this same self-proclaimed position like Korah. The rebellion of Korah was around a man that was a prominent leader in Israel. 
He was exalted. He exalted himself, but others even exalted. He had his following. And he came before Moses and Aaron in the assembly of the Lord. And the Korah wanted this position, which did not and was not intended by God to be given to him. Korah resented the authority that God had given to Moses and Aaron. He resented that. And there are people today that want to be, they want to be in this. And, and, and it just does, you know, and they can seek other ways and other means. Well, if I can't get this church to ordain me, I can't do it. I'm going to do my own thing, but I'm going to do it. When both of these, these men and, and they came before God and they came before Moses, Moses had to step away in the moment. And we're told that the ground opened up and it swallowed up. This is the hand of God. It swallowed up Korah, swallowed up his household, and it swallowed up all of his followers alive. How serious is God over this? Over this? Look what God did in this case. And after that, we're told that fire came down from heaven and burned up all of his 250 supporters. They all perished. The rebellion of Korah was that he was self willed, he was self appointed. He wasn't God-appointed. And see, that's the important thing. He needs to be a, a man of God that is a pastor-teacher, somebody that is a spokesperson for God, needs to be appointed by God. Not self-appointment. And I know of some that have, even in their own minds, they thought that this is what God was calling them to do, and they came to realize, you know what? I don't think that calling was ever upon my life. And they backed away from it. You know what God does? God blesses that. We don't do things perfectly. Many of men of God have tried to do that and realize, you know what? That wasn't God's calling from the beginning. He's not trying to strike everyone. But those people that will just rise up like a Korah. Peter says in verse 10 that these false teachers that they despise authority. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak of dignitaries. That's the sin and the rebellion of Korah. One commentator put it this way, and I liked it concerning these three examples that we read in Jude. These three men came from quite different backgrounds. Cain was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet. Korah was a leader in Israel. Apostasy is never confined to one group of people. There are apostates in the pulpit, in the palace, and in the poorhouse. They come from all walks of life, all status of life. But if they think that they can make a profit off of God, they will stand before the Lord. Peter goes on to give a list of some sinful practices in verse 13 to 17. And over these past two weeks, Peter's been warning us that these teachers will bring into the church, bring them in, destructive heresies. They'll even deny the Lord who bought them. They'll do it by covetousness. They'll exploit you with deceptive words. And they walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they're not afraid of speaking evil of dignitaries. That's how Peter addressed the issue of false teachers and false doctrines and destructive ways. 
He goes on to say also here, though, that they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin. And they're enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. I don't know how that training happens, but it happens. A heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They are false teachers that come into the midst and they're described here by Peter as spots and blemishes. You see, the early church used to gather for what was called a love feast, an agape feast. You can read about that in one of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul had to correct what was going on in one of those love feasts. It's like us saying, let's get together for a potluck around the Lord after church. You know, and you gather together, and the whole idea that love, we eat together, we fellowship together, we pray together, we talk, you know, it's, it's a time to get intimate with one another in the Lord. And here they are coming in amongst the others in the church as spots and blemishes in the love feast. You know, they look like everybody else. They look real religious. They, they just kind of come in unnoticed. Remember, I shared about how they come in like stealth. No one really knows unless you're really watching and really listening. Peter says, they carouse in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They delight, in essence, in deception. Even as they feast with you in your fellowship meals, they have an agenda when they're there. You see, deception and hypocrisy, it's not a good mixture. Deception and hypocrisy together, what a mixture. Having eyes full of adultery, that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. You see, they themselves commit adultery. They themselves have lustful eyes. They even commit adultery while they're teaching their people to refrain from adultery and sexual sin. But they themselves are committing it themselves. Peter says they can't themselves cease from sin. Which gives me an indicator that, you know what, we have victory over sin. God gives us victory over sin in our lives. But here these false teachers can't cease from sin. They're corrupted inside and, and they feast among us and they teach their people that they can have victory over sin, yet they themselves cannot cease from sin. What hypocrisy. They prey upon unstable souls. Those that are young in their faith. Those that have been Christian very long. Those that have a lot of issues going on in life. They're vulnerable. They're in a place where they're just kind of open to, you know, just give me something that's going to fix my situation. Give me some kind of a message that's going to really just cater to my problem right now. And I'll believe anything. Unstable souls. Paul, again, he warned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he told Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word, Timothy. Don't stop preaching the Word. Follow my example, Timothy. I want you to continue to preach the Word of God. 
Timothy, I want you to be ready in season and out of season. When you preach the Word of God, be ready, Timothy. Be ready to convince. Be ready to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering. You'll need that patience, Timothy, in your teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's happening. There's a lot of churches out there that are drawing in multitudes of people that will sit there and hear these easy messages, these psychology messages, these you know, easy gospel messages. There's loads of them out there, and that's what the people are being drawn to. What's it mean to have itchy ears? You know, give me something that's easy to take in. Don't just get in there and really talk about the hard stuff. I mean, that's, you know, man, that's a, I feel like I'm, when I leave church, I, I feel like I've been beat up. This should encourage us, actually, Christians. This should be warnings to us as Christians, but not one to discourage us. They will not endure sound doctrine. You see, there are some that have a hard time. I will say this, that even the length of a message sometimes, even those of you that have been a part of this church for a while, you've gotten used to a little bit longer of a message, but I've had people come to church and go, man, I would have gone to a church and, you know, good or bad, God be the judge. I'm not trying to judge it, but I'm just saying, you know, we, had a, we have a 20-minute message. Right? You know, topical thing, just, you know. And, and I, I think that we need to spend time being taught the Word of God. We need to spend time in the Word of God ourselves. Quality time, good time, reading the Word, letting God speak to us. Not having itchy ears. God, give me all from your word. I want all of it. That I wouldn't turn away from the truth. That I wouldn't get caught up into the, the false teachings that are out there, the fables. But you know what? Here's one of the problems. The reason why, and I, you know, I, I mentioned to you the, the, one of the largest churches in America that boasts that they minister to 45,000 people a week. They actually have to have an indoor stadium to house that many people. But the reason why there's that many people going is because that's what they want to hear. That's why they go. So we might say, well, what about the teacher, the pastor, the teacher that's getting up there bringing all this easy, false, whatever it might be kind of teaching? But it's not just them, it's the people also. They go and week after week listen in and walk away and say, man, that was good, man. That just lifted my spirits. But did they get the Word of God? They come to know the truths of God's Word. That would be called in question. And Paul told Timothy to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. It's because it's not always easy to teach the Word of God in the areas and the subject matter sometimes that really get to the heart of things. You see, God wants to deal with our heart. He wants to deal with the inner person. He doesn't want to just uh, to have a, a fluffy message where we could just all walk away feeling good every week. Verse 15 in our text, it says, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. 
a spokesperson for God. A prophet and God happened to intervene into Balaam's pathway using a donkey to speak to him. He says in verse 17 that these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wells without water. I live in a home that has well water. Some of you might have the same. I love well water. When the pump's working, it's pumping water and you got this well water coming. It's wonderful. But when the well goes dry, when there's no water coming up, it's what? It's just dead well. These are wells without water. These are teachers who do not have the Spirit of God. Who do not give out pure water to the people. And what I say to that is, they're really good for nothing but to be capped off. You know when you cap off a well? The well's gone dry. There's nothing there. It's nothing good. It's just a hole in the ground. They're clouds carried by a tempest. In other words, carried away by the wind. Jude says that they are clouds without water carried about by the winds. And so when you go out and you see the white fluffy clouds just being pushed and driven by the wind, And you think of those clouds as, they're beautiful. Just in appearance. By all outward evidence, the way that person looks as they stand before, they look, wow, they they play the part. They're dressed to a T. They look like, you know, they're, they're ready to go. They're ministers of the Gospel. They grab people's attention. But they're soon just blown away. And not only them, but even their doctrines. Taken away by the wind. You see, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've seen those things that have blown into the church. Doctrines and weird doctrines and all these things. And then they blow away and something else new comes along. Clouds carried by a tempest. No life-giving rain within those clouds. Beautiful to look at. But we know that it's that rain that comes down from those clouds that waters the earth and, and gives life and growth to the earth. But to be a pastor, teacher, with no life to give to the people. Wells without water, clouds without water, promising those that they teach that they can have victory, preaching satisfaction in life, that they can, you know, all of these things, but they're never able really to quench the thirst within the people. You see, the only thing that will quench the thirst within your soul is when you know God and you know Him through His Word and you learn the truths, the promises of God's Word, those are the things that will satisfy you. Everything else is some psychological teaching, some kind of a good, feel-good message that's not found in the Word of God. It's just a well without water. It's just clouds without water. What these teachers don't realize is that one day they're going to stand accountable to God for their deceptive ways. And that God already has a reservation waiting for them. For whom is reserved 
the blackness of darkness forever. They already have a reservation waiting for them, and it's in that blackness of darkness forever. He's going to tell us in these last few verses here about their deceptive ways of drawing people to themselves. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. That's what they're looking They're trying to find that way in. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. These false teachers can be men that can speak very well. They can look the part. They're great orators. They can get up there and they can dazzle the people with how they speak. Some people are sitting there just thinking, and I just love so-and-so. I love listening to him preach. I love that team. Man, he gets me laughing. I just love it. You know? and, and sometimes what we're loving is not what we need. I love the excitement that they bring behind the pulpit. I love how they move around and they engage the people. I even like it when they throw a couple of cuss words in. And the reason why I like that from the pulpit and they throw a couple of cuss words in there, because you know what? It brings a reality. You know, hey, we're all just real people. And you know what the bottom line to all that is? Is that the people sitting listening to that, that's what they want. It fits with their lifestyle. It fits with quite often with who they are. And when that pastor's up there, which should never be, in a sense, showing forth, you know, being raw before the people like that. And the people thinking, you know what? I like that. You know, this whole traditional stuffy kind of church thing, let's, let's get real. And people are drawn to that. They speak with great swelling words, but in reality, they're empty words. They entice their hearers by giving them what they want to hear. And, I, and I'll tell you, they'll, they'll sit and they'll do their homework. In their own mind, they're thinking through, what, 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 is this, what does this new culture want to hear? How can I reach this culture today? You know what? We're losing them. Right? And, and how, how can I do that? How can I do it differently? And I think there is some relevance to that. But never at the expense of the Word of God. They draw a crowd. But the crowd that they're drawing quite often has itchy ears. They promise prosperity and good health to the people. And who doesn't want to hear that? They promise liberty to those they teach. But they themselves are still in bondage. And there's a lot of different pastors, teachers that have fallen. We should pray for them. Pray for me. I covet your prayers. Lastly, Peter gives a warning to those who would listen to their destructive teaching and that would follow in their destructive ways. Look at verse 20 to 22. We might say that these are those that have been caught up by their destructive ways. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Having escaped the pollution, having heard the way to escape the pollution, the sin, the things in the world, but then to get entangled again in it. 
You see, what gives me victory, what gives you victory over sin and temptation in your life is to continually have your heart set on the Word of God, the truths of God's Word, the promises of His Word, relying upon the Holy Spirit in your life to give you victory in your life. Bad teaching and bad doctrine often leads to people returning and going back to what they were once delivered from. For it had been better, verse 21, for them to not know the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, a preacher can dress up like a sheep. But inside he can be a ravenous wolf. A true child of God, number one, is not a dog. Number two, he's not a pig. Those were unclean animals, by the way. Child of God is known as a sheep in Scripture. We're not dogs and pigs if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We can profess, though, that we know God. We can even experience some moral changes in life under the name of a religion and not truly be born again. That's an important truth to know. You can go through all the motions Say, yeah, I went down on an altar. Say that I said a prayer. Say that, you know, and go right back to what you were before. One commentator put it this way. These unclean animals were unclean before they were delivered from the vomit and mud and still unclean when they returned to it. I think that as Christians, Paul says that we should examine ourselves whether we are of the faith. Prove yourself lest you be a reprobate. There's nothing wrong with self-examination. How I examine myself, though, is in light of the Word of God. I examine myself in the light of God's Word and what God's Word, how God defines what a Christian is. How God defines how a person comes into a relationship with God. You see, that's really what determines that. And so there is a warning, and Peter ends this chapter with a warning as it's been warnings all the way through. He started out in chapter 1 about all these promises that we have as Christians before he got into telling us about these false teachers. When we move ahead next week into chapter 3, it's going to be another warning. The warning in chapter 3 is, as Christians, we need to be careful, we need to be aware uh, that the Lord is returning and that we don't get caught off guard that we're not living unaware, not living in, uh, not being ready for Christ's return. And Peter brings that out in that third chapter. And so read ahead. Spend time even looking at this. Here's my encouragement to all of us. If you are the person that kind of gets around and goes to a lot, whole lot of different teachings and things and listens to a lot of podcasts and a lot of different things, just make sure that you are fairly grounded in your faith before you do that. Otherwise, what I would say is stick to the book 
stick to the church that you call home, that you know is teaching the Word of God, stick there and stay focused on that and let God have his way to build you up. And then if you want to delve off into some of these other kind of uh, questionable uh, things that are out there, you'll probably be able to very easily discern that's not the Lord. That you don't find in the Bible. That's not, uh, you know, and you won't get easily deceived. And so that's my exhortation to you this morning. And um, I'm going to ask the uh, usher or uh, ushers, the worship team to come up and, and closes in worship. If you're here this morning and you are not 100% confident that you know Jesus Christ, that you're born again, that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, then I encourage you to come up and uh, talk with me after service. I'll pray with you. You can receive Christ into your heart. I'll, I'll share with you the way of how you can know in your heart 100% sure where you're going to go when you die. That, that's where the rubber meets the road. What's going to happen when we pass from this life into the next? Where am I going to be? And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's, it's very clear when we read it. It, get, it tells us exactly which way to turn and which way not to turn. It gives us all the warning signs and the things that we need to be aware of and alerted to. And we thank you for those warnings. And Lord, I just pray this morning for your church, your people, that you would continue, Father, to give us that hunger and thirst for truth in our own life. That we would be ones that would uh, defend our faith, Lord, in this world that we're living in. That we'd give a defense for what we believe. And Lord, I just pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon us afresh. Right now, we need your spirit. We need your Holy Spirit and all power in our lives, Lord, that we can go out this week, that we can live for you, uh, Lord, that we can say no to sin, Lord, that we can please you with our lives, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. We're dependent upon you. And Lord, we just thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.